You're listening to episode four of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. He's Alex, I'm Tara, and this is how we came to a conclusion on Paul Goldschmidt's place in the Cardinals' plans. Welcome back from Thanksgiving weekend, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Chirps. Hopefully your weekend was lovely and relaxing and maybe less snowy than mine has been, but that's been more the last couple of days, not so much the weekend. Uh, But we're glad that you've decided to join us again as we talk more about the Cardinals and what's turning into a fascinating offseason already. But it is full-on winter now. And Alex, uh, as we get past the Thanksgiving holiday, you sort of expect things to start to kick up as far as the hot stove goes. And well, that's pretty much what we've seen with uh, Josh Donaldson off the board, the Braves making some moves. It's starting to get interesting. Yeah, the Donaldson thing came out of nowhere, at least for me it did. And I don't want to project too much, but it sounds like perhaps one of those deals where he, you know, people are like, well, you know, why didn't he wait a little longer to see if he had gotten more money? And, you know, I don't know what, what went on behind the scenes in terms of how many, how many teams he talked to and so forth. But, it, you know, I think he grew up in like the, the Florida panhandle and was like a Braves fan, you know. So this could actually be a situation where, who knows, maybe he could have gotten 25 or, you know, 28 million from another team for one year. But the idea of being able to play for his favorite team when he was little actually factored in, which I I don't know about you, but I'm surprised that doesn't factor in more. Like if if it was me and I had a chance to play for my favorite team, um, and this is a very easy thing to say when I'm not dealing with millions and millions of dollars, but I I, I think I would, I feel like I would give some sort of discount to the Cardinals if I was ever in that position. Yeah, it's so interesting to see how much baseball does actually become a business for these guys when you know they grew up watching the game. They grew up just diehard fans of the game, right? Um, But I know, uh, and I I may have mentioned this before, not specifically on this show, um, my dad's dad actually was offered a walk-on contract to play for the Cardinals. Um, But at the time, he would not have been on the major league roster. He would have been playing in the minor leagues. And quite honestly, the reason that my dad has always given for his dad not taking that contract is that he didn't want to take the risk of being traded because if he was going to play, he only wanted to play for the Cardinals. So yeah, I, I have always sort of had that story as part of my baseball history, if you will. So there's a a loyalty factor there that seems to play in for some guys. But when the game becomes this multi-million dollar business opportunity for players, I guess maybe that changes a little bit when you're dealing with uh, quite so many zeros after the the dollar sign. But when you have that chance, I, I feel like a lot of guys would jump at it if they if they are, in fact, in a position to take advantage of that opportunity no yeah it's a cool story and and believe me i'm not endorsing like i think every player should go and you know give a discount to their favorite team like no <laughs> I, the exact opposite I, I think every player should try to get as much money as possible and you know i want the players getting a bulk of the money versus say ownership or whatever but it did look like a very very good deal um you know i was kind of lukewarm on donaldson um but that was before i knew 
a deal like this was potentially on the table, you know, assuming it was on the table for the Cardinals. But to me, this is a perfect deal for both for the Braves. You have a guy who has some recent injury history, but also a guy who recently has been one of the best players in the league. Um, and he's taking a bet on himself to show that he can be um, re- returned to close to what he was and then hit free agency again one year later. And it's only costing the Braves one year at $23 million. And this is a Braves team that just came off an NLE's title. They're, they're improving their team. I think it's a great move for the Braves. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see a deal like this for a player like Donaldson. I was just having a conversation over the weekend with a a baseball buddy of mine, and we were talking about what Harper or Machado are going to command on the, the free agent market. And, you know, these deals where people are talking 10, 12, 14 years, I almost think that teams are going to end up going the other direction where they'll say, okay, we may might not want to take a, a risk on 14 years of a guy, but we'll give him more money for fewer years and, and see what happens. Um, and then sure enough, people started talking about that on Monday after they, they see the Josh Donaldson deal. That's one year, 23 million, um, which I guess is kind of takes us into the the subject matter for today, which we're going to talk about kind of who else is on the board as far as the Cardinals are concerned, especially if they were not as in on Josh Donaldson as we all might have thought. He sort of seemed like the the Cardinals-esque option if they weren't going to go after Harper or Machado. But I kind of get the feeling now that that especially if they weren't up for a single year at 23 million of Josh Donaldson, they were more hesitant about him and, and potentially the, the health issues creeping back in um, than they, than they said publicly, but that does kind of change the, the, the storyline, if you will, for the Cardinals, as far as how they can get better this year. And all of a sudden Paul Goldschmidt is front and center as maybe the the not Harper or Machado guy that the Cardinals could actually go out and get. That is, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of opinions about that swirling around the internet as there is about everything. But that's what we want to talk about. Paul Goldschmidt is owed $14.5 million for 2019, and that's it. Then he'll be looking for one of those big contracts as well. The Cardinals are rumored to be in pursuit, however strongly you might want to interpret that, of Paul Goldschmidt. I guess, Alex, let's just sort of start with the fact that he's a really, really great baseball player. It's a one-year stopgap unless they can re-sign him. So does that cause you to slam the brakes on Goldschmidt like many have at this point? Or especially with Donaldson off the board... Do you start to think a little more seriously about Paul Goldschmidt wearing the birds on the bat? Well, I ignoring the assets that it would take to get Paul Goldschmidt just for a split second. I like the fact that it's just for one season uh, for two reasons. First, to me, it means the Cardinals are going for it in 2019. Um, and I don't mean trying to um, finish in that 88 range, 88 win range and hope you slip into the playoffs. but more thinking like if we have Paul Goldschmidt, we can build a team that that can win somewhere in the 92-95 win range and perhaps win the division. Because otherwise, why do you trade for a player like Paul Goldschmidt who's going to cost you assets for just one year? Um, And another reason why I like him in a one-year option is because 
frankly, I don't know, and and I'm not the best at this stuff, but I don't know what sort of contract he'd be looking at come a year from now when he's 32 years old. You know, who knows what type of season he's gonna he's gonna have in 2019. His projections look look very very good. I think I saw on Steamer he's still projected to be like over a four win player, so that so that's great. Um, JD Martinez is a little bit younger. I, th- I think he was 29 this past year, but he's a recent example of a guy who's a little bit older, but who obviously is still a great offensive player. And the Red Sox look really really smart by handing him out a contract um, when no other teams, for whatever reason, were were willing to wade into those waters. So. I like the idea of Paul Goldschmidt in a vacuum for one for one year. Why I don't like it, I guess, is the fact that I, I think on ESPN I saw the names floated as Luke Weaver, Dakota Hudson, and Jose Martinez. Like that was like a hypothetical trade. Um, and to me, it all hinges on who Luke Weaver is. If Luke Weaver is the guy who was was pitching in the first third of the season in 2018, then that's kind of a tough trade to make. But otherwise, I got to be honest, I know that sounds like a lot, but I make that trade. I really do. I, I think Paul Goldschmidt has been that good. I, you know, I was looking at some of his stats, and from 2012 to 2018, and 2012 was kind of when he broke out, but he has the most home runs in the National League other than Giancarlo Stanton in that time. He has the second-best WRC+. Plus to Joey Votto. And this is for, you know, players, you know, qualified with the amount of plate appearances and, and so forth. He has, I believe, the second highest OPS behind behind Votto. The second highest OPS plus behind Votto. He has a better OPS, a better OPS plus, a better WRC plus than Chris Bryant with t- about twice as many plate appearances. So make no mis- mistake about it. He is an awesome, awesome player. And I think he would do great in St. Louis. You know, people keep bringing up the fact that he hits well against the NL Central. I don't know how how much that that is an actual thing in terms of you know that that would help him if you know if he actually played in the NL Central. They'd be playing in these parks. I don't know. Um, but the only other reason it gives me pause, and this is what a lot of people have been talking about, is it kind of displaces Matt Carpenter. It moves him over to third. Um, we've seen Matt Carpenter is not you know he's not going to kill you there, but he's not the greatest third baseman. Uh, so that gives me a little bit of pause, but I still just feel like, you know what, maybe find a way to make it work. Colton Wong is a guy who I think only once in his career has had over 450 plate appearances in a season. So you know Carpenter will get some time at second base. And yeah, he's not great there either, but he can still play it competently. So I think I started the day thinking like, eh, I'm not wild about it. But now with Donaldson off the board, I'm like, you know what? Like, that sounds really, really appealing to me now. I'm curious what you think. I feel like that's sort of this roller coaster that I've been on the last couple of weeks thinking about this Goldschmidt thing. And to be very clear, I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who's wanted Paul Goldschmidt to be a Cardinal for a lot of years now. Um, So I sort of started from a perspective of this would be awesome, but there's a lot to it. And it's interesting to me, the argument you made about the the one-year deal. I think that A lot of people see it as a negative when you're talking about trading away assets for a guy that could very well be essentially a rental. And I I understand that argument, but at the same time, to your point, you're looking at a guy who's, you know, maybe just at the other side of the the peak years of his career, and you might not want to sign him to a, a seven, eight, nine year contract 
when you don't quite know what he's going to do, um, you get him for a year, you see if it makes sense. You also see if he factors in the way that you're going to build your team going forward. And in the meantime, you get a huge upgrade offensively. And I did actually look up the stats. Goldschmidt against the NL in general is definitely something I would like to to see uh, the Cardinals pull off. But it does give you a little bit of time to sort of stop and, and readdress what the Cardinals issues might be going forward. If you decide to, to, to roll with some of the young pitchers this next year, rather than going out and, and trying to supplement with some veterans like the Cardinals have done, well, really in the Mike Matheny era, because that's what they had to do, uh, then you can see what those guys do and go from there a year from now. But I do think that it, it, it would sort of signify that the Cardinals are willing to move some of those prospects, including Luke Weaver, knowing that they have guys to fill in behind him. And then you get the pop in the middle of the lineup. You get the experience that you would like to have to, again, supplement some of those young guys in the lineup. Um, And a guy that has been tested and has proven time and time again. I was looking at it today and comparing him to, well, the other first baseman in the NL Central. Central. We're talking Joey Votto, Anthony Rizzo, Jesus Aguilar, Josh Bell, Matt Carpenter. Paul Goldschmidt's really, really good. (laughs) Um, He's in just about every offensive category, one of the top two. And he's been that way consistently for most of his career. So it's not necessarily a guy that just had a good season or two. He's pretty much the same guy year in and year out. And that seems like a level of consistency that even if it's just for one year to sort of right the ship and get the Cardinals moving in the right direction, feels like a, a good idea if not maybe a risk of the uh, Jason Hayward variety. <laughs> so it's funny you bring up Hayward because go- going back to that one-year rental thing, um, I, I got to say, like I-, I think a full season of a player like Goldschmidt is, is maybe more valuable than people are giving, um, giving it credit for. And, and Hayward, I-, I would have to say, is probably like the most recent comp here, right? Like yeah. we traded a very valuable asset for one season of Jason Hayward in, in, in Shelby Miller. And I, I think both, I, I think most people would agree it worked out pretty well for both sides. Um, you know, ignoring what happened with Hayward after the season when he, when he didn't sign with the Cardinals and we tried to sign him and, and, you know, that kind of looks like maybe we dodged a bullet there. Who knows? But, but he was great for the, you know, a lot of things went right for the Cardinals in 2015. I think the main thing was the, the crazy run prevention numbers put up by, by the starting pitchers. But Hayward arguably had his best season as a pro. I, I don't know if they win the, you know, they won the division by what, three games that season? No, two games, I think. What, the Cardinals won 100 games, Pittsburgh won 98, Cubs won 97. You know, that was a dogfight the entire season. Um, I don't know if we are the NL Central champs without Hayward. And I'm sure people say, well, it doesn't matter because we lost to the Cubs anyway. Well, fine, you know, sure. Uh, a lot of things can happen in the playoffs. But Hayward was a one-year rental or whatever you want to call him. And it worked out very, very well. And he didn't resign, we, but we did get a compensatory pick for him who is, shoot, slipping my mind at the moment. Do you know, do you know who we got? Mm, suddenly our, I can't remember either. Huh, okay. I'll, I will look that up as soon as this is over and uh, whatever. But I, I don't worry too much about just one year of a player if it's a, a guy of the caliber of Goldschmidt who's still projected to be a pretty solid player this season. 
Yeah. And I think that's, so I've had sort of this back and forth issue with the way that John Mozeliak has handled young prospects for a long time, where I feel like it's great to protect those guys. It's great to, to value them to the point where you're willing to, you know, hold on to them for the sake of the future. And to be clear, it's worked out pretty well. A lot of those prospects that John Mozeliak has protected have become very capable major league players. Um, But when you sort of stockpile them and then don't use them as this form of currency, if you will, that allows you to fill in with pieces that you actually need, not things that you might need at some point down the road, um, it frustrates me a little bit to see where that line tends to be for him. But I I see a lot of this with the, the Cardinals fan base reactions to a lot of these things as well, where, you know, they want the big splashy player. They want the guy that's going to change the dynamic of the lineup, but not at the expense of any of those young guys. And on the one hand, I can understand that because you, you like the potential, right. And you, you like the investment for the future, but at the same time, um, you got to do something different if you're going to expect a different result. And to me, going out there and and taking that risk on Paul Goldschmidt, knowing the kind of player that he has been, knowing that he's a perennial all-star, that he's typically an NL MVP candidate, and that he's done so for an extended period of time, enough that you pretty much know what you're getting. It it seems like that's a risk that the Cardinals can – defend if nothing else and um you know without the opportunity of solving your corner infield position uh problems with a guy like donaldson um yeah goldschmidt seems to be a a very attractive opportunity for the cardinals without the the long-term risk that mo seems uh allergic to with a longer contract like a a you know, maybe even a Harper or a Machado deal. Now, to be clear, I still think the Cardinals should sign Bryce Harper. <laughs> um, a- absolutely. That's that's priority number one in my mind. But that can't be the only thing that they're thinking about. And if you want to add to that lineup, you want to do something to make sure that Jose Martinez isn't your opening day first baseman defensively, um, Goldschmidt brings a lot to the table. And Derek Gould wrote a really interesting piece about it talking about how many of the boxes Goldschmidt checks for the Cardinals, the only thing that seems to be not part of the, and I I don't say this in a a cliche way, but the the Cardinal way is that it's a very short-term move. They've got a lot of contracts coming up to the end of, um, to the end of the road. And Goldschmidt would be another one of those guys. I, I guess, I don't know. My question, Alex, is the Cardinals, don't like talking about having a window for their competitiveness. Does this, does a move like this sort of solidify the fact that they do in fact have a window if they go out and make a move for Goldschmidt and, and sort of put themselves in this very specific position of trying to win now? Um, I don't know if it signals any sort of window. You know, I, I think their farm system is still pretty, you know, somewhat deep. But more importantly, I, I think back to the, the point I made earlier is, and I'm curious real quick, do, do you agree like if, if they make a trade for Paul Goldschmidt, that's them saying, we think we can win the NL Central in 2019. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I was having this conversation uh, earlier this week as well in that, you know, there's the option for the Cardinals to kind of just let the young guys play and and see if they can, in fact, be major league caliber players. But they could also just go and make a move, even if it's not Harper, that does make them better that kind of feels like the moves they've made the last couple of years. And for some reason, I, I feel like Paul Goldschmidt, in the minds of a lot of people, fits into that category where this is the same kind of move that they've tried before. But let's be clear, Paul Goldschmidt is a very different caliber player than the moves that the Cardinals have made in the past. I don't know that people realize how good Paul Goldschmidt has been. He's kind of in that like Mike Trout zone where no one ever actually gets to see him play because of the time zone that he plays in and because he plays for the Diamondbacks who haven't been particularly relevant to the the casual baseball fan in a while. But yeah, Paul I have Goldschmidt, more, I have more on that later, but uh, keep going. Yeah, have, we'll get to that. that. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I just want to be clear: Goldschmidt is a, a step up from a lot of the sort of "let's make a move just to see what happens" kind of players that the Cardinals have have brought in the last couple of years. So while this does maybe seem like, well, if we can't get Harper, then here's the the next tier player we can go out and get. To me, it's very different because of the caliber of that player. So, yes, to answer your question, I do think that a Paul Goldschmidt trade is the Cardinals front office saying, look, this guy can help us win now. And what we need, whether it's (laughs) to pacify the fan base or not, is a guy that can help us win now. And Goldschmidt does that. So if we go out and make this move, yeah, we're giving up some pitching that could be helpful down the road for the sake of an opportunity to win now. So regarding your comment of, okay, so we didn't land Harper, let's go out with like on plan B and get Goldschmidt. Uh, I want to flip that. Say they make a trade for Goldschmidt um, in the next, and this is very, very hypothetical. I don't, I don't believe this will happen, but say they make a trade for Goldschmidt like within the next week. Do you partly do that to make the Cardinals a more attractive place for a player like Bryce Harper? So I've I've toyed with that idea with a couple of other options, e- even Donaldson, um, early in the offseason when we were sort of just imagining all the combinations of possibilities. I don't know that the Cardinals were ever really in the market for Donaldson and a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado, um, who, by the way, we kind of have glossed over, haven't really talked about Machado. We might circle back to that if he stays relevant, but it does sort of seem like the Cardinals are out of that conversation. Um, we might come back to well, that later on. So, but. so that's so weird to me. Um, and I'm kind of switching gears here real quick, but that if it's true that they were never really interested in Donaldson, um, even if for a year or they're not even pursuing Machado, well then what was the point of saying we want to work on our corner, you know, our corner <laughs> spots, meaning third base. It's a decoy, you man. Have two, it's a decoy. You know, I, I, <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what Machado's situation is if he's really like adamant on, you know, I'm only playing shortstop. But if that's not the case and, you know, money can, you know, have a lot of sway when it comes to these <laughs> things, then why are you even saying that? You have two MVP type guys. I, you know, sure, Donaldson has been injured lately, but, you know, when he, at his peak, he, he has been awesome. And you're not even going to inquire with them after making that statement. I just don't. I just don't get that. Maybe I'm reading too much into this statement, and it was wasn't as firm as uh, as I remember it being. I don't know. But 
I don't get it. Machado is, you know, he's the same. He's like Harper, all those boxes we checked off with Harper in terms of being young and talented. And if you really want to, you know, figure out third base and have it be, you know, have some stability there, there's some pretty, that's a pretty good guy out there. (laughs) It's interesting. And I do think that plays into this conversation because it, it almost feels like Goldschmidt is that guy that they weren't really sure was going to be available that fits a lot of what they were looking for, but doesn't actually play third base so they can move some pieces around. So it doesn't, it doesn't fit that narrative necessarily. Um, But in almost the same category as Harper, I feel like the, the quality of player that he is and the the skill set that he brings, you're like, okay, well, if this is a realistic option, let's see if we can move some stuff around and make it work and make it make sense because when you have, I said this before about Bryce Harper, if you have the chance to get Bryce Harper, you get Bryce Harper. If you have the chance to get Goldschmidt, even if he is, air quotes, plan B, which to your point, I'm not really sure that he is, um, you at least play that scenario out and see what you think can happen. I'm not even sure what your question actually was uh, about Goldschmidt before we got sidetracked, but I do want to say this one more thing before we get get back to it. Um, I think this offseason is becoming very interesting because the Cardinals ended the year with what appeared to be a very specific set of needs, right? Left-handed relief and, and the corner infield spots, right? They still need a big bat. How you can solve all those things. They can only play with the cards they're dealt, no pun intended. And the way that this offseason is shaping up, they can either sit back and wait for this, you know, unicorn of a player who's the right age and the right handedness and the right position and looking for the right contract. They can sit around and wait for that guy to materialize out of thin air over the next couple of years, or they can pick up the best upgrades they can from the options that they have. And right now it appears that Paul Goldschmidt is another one of those guys that they can go get and it would be a very significant upgrade. I think your question was about trading for Goldschmidt and maybe that making St. Louis more appealing for Harper. Um, it's hard to it's hard for me to to make that assumption about Bryce Harper because I, I don't think we really know what he's looking for other than a lot of money. Um, Let's say this. Let's say this. It wouldn't hurt, right? Yes, absolutely. No, I think when I look at, at Bryce Harper and the things that he still needs to check off of his baseball career list, he wants to win. He wants to make it to the playoffs and and be a, a legitimate contender and walk away with a, a ring at some point. And if you put Bryce Harper and Paul Goldschmidt on the same team with the likes of Yadier Molina and Matt Carpenter and Carlos Martinez and Jack Flaherty and the the young guys that they do have there, all of a sudden you're talking about a World Series contender from opening day. And that certainly has to be appealing to a guy like Harper who has done everything else but win a World Series. Right. This whole conversation with Goldschmidt kind of reminds me of, like, say, the NBA draft and a team who needs a center. Like, you know, we just don't have a center, and that's what we're looking for in the draft. And then when it becomes their pick, they're like, well, shoot, by far the best player available right now is this shooting guard. You know, so you know what? We're going to take the best player available because we'd be silly not to, even if that doesn't quite fit with our plans. I think that kind of brings us to, so what do we do with Carpenter if, if say, this trade happened? Say the Cardinals pick up Goldschmidt. Are you comfortable with uh, Carpenter at third base? 
Look, I don't think Matt Carpenter's going to win a gold glove anytime soon or ever in the rest of his career. He's not there because of his defense. I think we all saw last year that he was much more um, comfortable and consistent at first base. But I keep reminding myself that a lot of the time, well, pretty much all of the time that we saw Matt Carpenter at third, it meant Jose Martinez was at first. And the combination of two below average fielders and that may be taking a little bit of credit away from Matt Carpenter but nonetheless pairing him with Jose Martinez and, and, and at giving, first and giving too much credit to Jose Martinez <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but pairing those two on the corners made everything more difficult than it would have been with probably any other option that the Cardinals had as far as the combination of first and third baseman. So as far as I'm concerned, Matt Carpenter's not going to be a defensive specialist at third base. But I guess where I finally come down on this issue is if you can get Paul Goldschmidt, you get Paul Goldschmidt and Matt Carpenter will be fine at third base. I don't think he's going to be a a star at third base, but he's also going to have a much more capable target at first than he did last year. Yeah, and that man, I just realized how much I hate ragging on Jose Martinez. I know. He's, he's this guy <laughs> who's just like he's obviously works works his ass off and then like turn himself into a, a very, very good hitter. And it's like it's such a rare story for a guy to um I, I don't know if breakthrough is the right word, but kind of broke through so late in his career. Um, you know, he yeah. was hitting the crap out of the ball um, for, I would say, the first two-thirds of, of last year. And I, I just love that guy. But, yeah, I, I don't I don't love him at first. Yeah, I, I adore him as well. But he gave me more anxiety <laughs> defensively than, than I ever thought possible. Um, and I think that's part of the story, right? If you're trying mm-hmm. to upgrade the Cardinals, Jose Martinez does so many things so well at the plate. But you, he's a liability as a defender, no matter where you try to hide him on the field. So yeah. it's almost addition by subtraction to me if you take him out of the equation. Yeah, Carpenter's not great, but I think he's a better third baseman than Jose Martinez was a first baseman. So probably works out as a positive in the end. It certainly simplifies things, especially if we're counting on, and I am counting on this, on Fowler you know, returning and, and playing right field for a bulk of the season. Um, yeah. And, and then that really does leave Jose Martinez kind of without a spot. So I think we can probably assume he's going to be moved or or relegated to a bench role. But I think his bat's too good for that. So who knows? We'll see. The, the last thing I want to say about Goldschmidt, I'm, I'm curious about, about your opinion on this. Um, this dawned on me. And believe me, this is... Uh, this is an indictment on me or or maybe MLB for how they market their stars and certainly not Goldschmidt. But I realized earlier today, I have no idea what this guy looks like. <laughs> if he inconspicuously sat next to me on an airplane, meaning like he wasn't like wearing his uniform or anything, uh, I would have no idea to him. And that's partly because, you know, he plays, I guess, on the West Coast, uh, you know, but so are the Dodgers. I know what all their players look like. Uh, and he easily has to be the best player in baseball who I would not be able to spot. Like I, I have, I haven't the slightest idea what he looks. I mean, I, I know he's white or whatever, but, but <laughs> I, I don't have, I, I don't know why that is. I, I think I've read somewhere, you know, like he, you know, he kind of excused the spotlight or, or something like that. So maybe that has something to do with it, but yeah, like one, do you know, would you be able to spot him in a crowd and, if so, who would you consider to be the best player in baseball right now 
who you have no idea what they look like. Maybe it's Goldschmidt too. If it, if if your answer is Goldschmidt, then give your second answer if you can think of one. <laughs> um, it's funny because I hadn't really thought about this until you mentioned it to me earlier today. And quite honestly, I'm not sure I could pick him out either. <laughs> um, Does he just have that, like a again, plain face? or <laughs> Maybe it is. I do think that it has something to do with and this is a this is a whole show in and of itself. We can talk about this some other time, but I do think it has something to do with the way that Major League Baseball markets or doesn't its players. I also think that uh, I just don't watch a lot of Diamondbacks yeah, games, yeah, um, and that that plays into it. But as far as who else it would be, man, I'm trying to think. It's got to be some West Coast players for me because I just never watch any of their games. Like I'm trying to like, do I know what George Springer looks like? I, sort of, I know yeah, what George yeah. Springer looks like, but I covered him in okay, the minor well, leagues, so I, I have a little bit of no no excuse <laughs> there for not knowing Astros players. <laughs> well, for me, Goldschmidt is definitely, maybe in all of professional sports, the, in terms of the best player. Uh, I mean, I, I shouldn't say all professional sports because I don't follow hockey. So I, there's. Does anyone actually know what hockey players look like, though? I, yeah, I mean, I'd have to ask a <laughs> hockey fan. I haven't really followed hockey. The, the masks when, when, and the helmets, I don't know. They're all just... When my kids were born, that was the sport <laughs> I gave up. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll sacrifice <laughs> this. It was pretty easy to, to give up. I do think it's a, a really interesting question, though, and I was glad that you brought it up because I think it plays into all of this and sort of to bring it full circle on Goldschmidt, I'm not sure that people really realize how good he is no, and how much of an upgrade he would be. Yeah. It's, this is not a this is not a second or third tier upgrade. This is a legitimate. This guy is going to change the dynamic of the lineup upgrade, um, and that's why I think at the end of the day, you know, I've gone back and forth on this, but I I think I think I make that move if I have the chance to. I do too, and, and the important thing is is not just how how good he has been in. And I don't think that can be overstated. I mean, he's been a top-tier player in baseball. But also that he's still projected, you know, because what good is it if if he's, like, you know, on his downside? He's still projected to be a very good player in 2019. And that's what's most important here. So, Especially when we're talking about probably one year and then you uh you reevaluate from there Absolutely. his 2019 looks like it's still going to be very very good and i would like a very very good paul goldschmidt year in st louis me too we've gone a little bit longer than we normally do but i feel yeah, like I was, we we got really we got really worked up about this and all yeah. of a sudden i didn't realize how passionate i was about paul goldschmidt uh but we cannot deny you the chirp of the week um so we will as always end with that okay i am taking us back to 1999 uh the mcguire years when thinking of 1999 Besides McGuire, there are only two other Cardinals things I even think of, and that's the Fernando Tatis, two grand slams in one inning. The other would be uh, Jose Jimenez's uh, no-hitter that he threw against the Diamondbacks. You know, someone on Twitter brought up that kind of, uh, you know, please fill my mentions with the greatest pitching performance you've ever watched, you know, thing. And, you know, it was fun. Kyle Reese brought up the Jose Jimenez game, I believe. And someone mentioned in that thread that Randy Johnson also pitched a very good game that night. And that is also true. So Jose Jimenez threw a no-hitter. But Randy Johnson got the loss. But he also pitched a complete game. He gave up one run in the top of the ninth. And and that's it. He only gave up five hits and he struck out 14. Wow. So I did a a baseball reference play index search 
for players from 1908 to last season who threw a nine full inning game, who got the the loss, you know, that stat we all love, who got the loss, but also gave up one run and struck out at least 12. So did you get that? So we got nine innings pitch, got the loss, gave up only one run and struck out at least 12 batters. Okay. That returned 14 games going all the way back to 1908 and as recently as 2012 when James Shields did it. And James Shields' game was against Baltimore. It was an amazing game. He faced only two batters over the minimum, (laughs) and he got the loss um, because he gave up a home run to uh, Baltimore's Chris Davis, uh, now known as the bad Chris Davis because there's two Chris Davises. (laughs) And I think think on Effectively Wild, they now um, unfortunately call him the bad Chris Davis because he just uh, turned in one of the worst seasons uh, on record. But perhaps the best pitching performance I could find in a losing effort was Pedro Martinez in 2000 against Tampa Bay Devil Rays. They were the Devil Rays at the time. Mm-hmm. He got the loss, pitched nine innings, gave up again only one run, and he struck out 17. <laughs> and the pitcher on the other side of him, in the Baltimore, in the other game I mentioned, Baltimore had several pitchers going. But on the other side of this game for Tampa Bay was, uh, was, a, was a pitcher who threw a complete game, and that pitcher was Steve Traxel. He threw nine solid innings and shut down a, a pretty decent Boston team. And that's going to bring it full circle here because I started talking about McGuire. And uh, as we all know, Steve Traxel gave up home run number 62 to McGuire. So there you go. That's your chirp of the week, starting with Jose Jimenez and ending with Steve Traxel. Um, but mostly talking about Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, James Shields, and a slew of other pitchers who pitched great but still got the loss. And this is why... <laughs> Pitchers' wins and losses. <laughs> Don't tell the whole story. Those are incredible performances. And man, someone tried to tell me this week that football is more exciting than baseball. Let me tell you, any one of those games would have been much more exciting to me than uh, pretty much any football game I've ever seen. So to each their own. Yeah, like that that Jose Jimenez and Randy Johnson game is basically like a better version of the... Uh of the Chris Carpenter, uh, Roy holiday game. Yeah. I mean, the stakes were much less and that's what made the, you know, Carpenter holiday game so special, but yeah, that's how good it was. Awesome. Well, thanks again for another amazing story for the chirp of the week. I'm going to have to, uh, up my game. If I'm ever going to come up with one that, that, uh, is interesting enough to, to keep you from sharing one, but we'll see. Maybe, um, our listeners have something that they'd like to share as well. If you do feel free to tweet it at us. Maybe we'll, uh, share your fun fact or story as a chirp of the week sometime. Speaking of that's what we call a transition. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. And uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can listen to it on Overcast, which I've just recently discovered. And it's kind of changed my podcasting, my podcast listening life. That was hard to say. Um, You can also, of course, find us at birdsintheblack.com. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the show as well. Until next time, have a great week.